to the left corner to Aguila. Aguila to the left circle. Passing to Yell. A shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. Okay, we are underway. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome on this Tuesday, January 23rd. And welcome to this hour of Flames Talk on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Steinberg along with you from the Hot Stove Lounge here at the Dome. And coming up this hour, a busy one. Daily Flames Roundtable a little bit later on as we uh, dive in on a couple of big news items for the Flames, including another player recalled from the American League. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson will both join the hour a little bit later on but to uh, kick things off on this Tuesday it's time to say hello to our NHL insider Frank Saravalli brought to you by Self Trail Chrysler where they always make the buying process simple look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit selftrailchrysler.com and Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com hello Frank how are we today I'm good how are you are you back in the dungeon back in the dungeon although as you saw, it was maybe a little less dungeony than you thought it was going to be, right? Yeah, it's still in the saddle dome, so pretty dungeony. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, the building was open in 1983. It's the oldest building in the NHL, so there's probably a little bit to that. Are you back home safe and sound? I am. Great, uh, great weekend in Jasper. Awesome to be in Calgary for a few days. Good to see the uh, the flames in person and now back on the grind. Well, it's 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 interesting because we talked to you. We got a little uh, bonus chat with you on Thursday last week, and, and we dove in on some of the big issues and spent a lot of time talking about Elias Lindholm. But, you know, Frank, when you and, – and it's it's cool that you got the opportunity to be around and, and um, get to see them in person and, and, you know, maybe check in and, and do, some, uh, do some sniffing around. But, you know, when you take a look at, at going all the way back to late June when the news started to come out about potential UFA, and how things um, and how things are trending, and then you think about some of the trades that have already been made, and the uncertainty, and the bad start this team has had. Like for Craig Conroy, this has been a uh, this has been a very eventful first year on the job, hasn't it? His first half of his first NHL season has been rather eventful when you compare it to other spots in this league. Yeah, it's 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 been crazy. Um... Honestly, when you consider it was really like his first 10 days when all that information was coming out, you pull the trigger on a Toffoli trade, you kind of sit back and then, you know, work through the process and try and, you know, make everyone happy to come back into camp. You make, you know, you've got a a coach that you've hired, uh, you know, you're in, you're in one, then you get through the start of the season. It's maybe not as pretty as you would have hoped. And you've got a Zadaroff trade request that you find out about on social media and still yep. all of these pending UFAs to deal with. So certainly not easy. Um, I think in some ways uh, it, it kind of opens your eyes to, I'm sure exactly how demanding and difficult the job is, but at the same time, it's got to also be pretty exciting in the sense that not everyone is handed a roster that, you can kind of put your own stamp on somewhat quickly. And there is room here. Like you saw the Toffoli 
for Sharon Govich trade. And we talked about that of how, you know, how good that's been for this team that, you know, the next part is going to be the most interesting part in all these guys that they have to deal with. Yeah. Do you, um, do you get a sense on when they make a definitive decision on the direction they're going to take with, with these UFAs? Has it already been made? Do you feel like, I don't think it's anything's set in stone or anything like that, but I do think, you know, the way it's trending in a perfect world, they'd work something out with Hannafin and trade Lindholm, trade Tanev, and see what happens beyond that. Does anything else, you know, materialize with some of the other players that might have a little bit of term on their deal? And... I think maybe, you know, if you're looking at a glass half full, that's also a really exciting place to be. You've got cap space, potentially. You've got assets on the way. And then if someone knocks your socks off with a deal for, I don't I'm just pulling a name out of thin air, Rasmus Anderson, well, then entertain it. Listen, think about it. And you've really got a blank slate so much as you can in the NHL. Like there's a lot of GMs that get handed a job. Like look at what Kyle Dubas is now going to have to deconstruct or, you know, right. whoever at some point, if they get the New York Islanders, uh, if Lou Lamorello steps down, like there, you can't do anything with the entire team under contract or, you know, a roster of 33 year old players and older. So it, you know, some might look at this and say, well, yeah, but their teams are at least competitive in the short term. They're not really any better off than the Flames are. In fact, I would argue way worse off because right. when you consider on the whole of where this team is at, the biggest shot in the arm that they've gotten this year has been from Zary and has been from Pospisil and has been from some of the young guys that have stepped in, excited to get another look at Coronado, for instance. Like, all that stuff, maybe you you know you see a little bit of something from Cole Schwint. Like there's lots of different and exciting pieces that I think they also went into the mindset this year of we we want to make sure that there's room for some of our young guys to contribute. Finally, um, it's 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 interesting. You and I uh, went really in depth on on Thursday on Elias Lindholm and and what his future might look like, whether it's here or elsewhere. And one of the teams that uh, has has been connected loosely or or maybe not so loosely, depending on who you ask, to Lindholm is is Vancouver. And and I, I've I've seen it more out of Vancouver in terms of this player being connected than maybe here in Calgary. But would a guy like Nils Hoaglander like uh, it? Are, are the Canucks willing to part with a guy like that if they're going to bring in a real impact maker that can maybe get that really good group to an even higher level? I, I think they'd have to be open to stuff like that. What about a Kuzmenko potentially coming the other way? Um, I think they're one of the teams that has probably uh, you know, reached out along the way here to at least just gauge where the Flames are heading. Um they're aggressive. And, you know, I, I think for guys that have sort of, you know, like Nils Hoaglander under contract for one more year at 1-1, like he's had a pretty decent runway to show himself to be a capable NHL player. You know, he's almost 200 games into his NHL career. And 
you know, some would argue by that point, you kind of are what you are, but some of it also comes down to opportunity too. And yeah, there's other pieces that the Canucks would probably rather move first. And we know kind of who they are Mm -hmm. based on the way this year has gone. But, you know, I, I think that's going back to what we were talking about in terms of options and opportunity on the table for Craig Conroy if you want to be competitive in a two to three year window, you can't take all futures. And so you've got to find and mine some, I don't even want to call them diamonds in the rough, but like a Sharon Govich is a great example. Find someone who had 24 goals early in his career. You think has the potential to get back to that type of level and who just isn't getting the chance or who clearly isn't on the same page as his coach which I believe was the case in New Jersey mm-hmm. that provides you an, a, a window, an opportunity to, to acquire that player that you think has surplus value. And uh, just one more, um, one more thought on the Flames, and, and that is uh, we learned Sunday that uh, Dylan Dubé is taking uh, a leave of absence, uh, an indefinite leave of absence to, to tend to his mental health. Just um, any, uh, any insight that you can add there on Dylan Dubé and that situation? Yeah, I think, look, since Carter Hart took his own leave of absence and they said for personal reasons, they didn't, the Flyers didn't designate mental health. But because Carter Hart and Dylan Dubé both played on the same 2018 World Junior team for Team Canada, a lot of people on social media ran to jump to the conclusion that, oh, these two things, these two players taking leaves of absence within mere days of each other, they must be connected. And I'm still reporting out the scenario and process, but best as I can tell, um, a source, you know, really close to the situation says that it's not related at all to the ongoing investigation into the team. So it sounds like it's exactly what it is, at least for now, with regards to Dylan Dubé taking a break to, to get some things in order for him personally. Okay. Uh, Frank Saravalli is with us. He is our NHL insider, Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He joins us every Tuesday, and uh, that's uh, important clarification. I appreciate that, Frank. Um, lots to get into around the league. Let's start with Edmonton and Corey Perry. Tell us about how this got to the finish line and how uh, Perry has now joined the Oilers. This is a guy that the Oilers were after, really, from Jump Street when the contract was terminated. They obviously did their work and and due diligence in terms of making sure that what happened in Chicago, which we still don't really have clear line of sight on yet, was something that they could live with. But from a pure hockey fit perspective, like this is an excellent addition for Edmonton that doesn't cost them anything aside from some cap space. And you see today the transaction, Adam Ernie out, Corey Perry in, also adding Dylan Holloway back they've added two pretty impactful forwards in the last couple of days without having to give up any assets, which is really important at this time of year Mm -hmm. and not just roster fit wise, adding another right shot, but with the way that Corey Perry plays, you know, the grit, the competitiveness, they, that bottom six really needed it there. And I don't know that it's a stone cold lock for him to be only in the bottom six. I'd imagine he'd also get some net front power play opportunity, maybe 
a guy that you could see play a little bit of second line action as well. Um, but they, they were targeting him from the beginning. The thing was not everyone, you know, close to him was sold that Edmonton would be the choice. I think Florida was the finalist and runner up, but there had been quite a number of teams that had been in the mix. Okay. And, in terms of, you know, as we know, his contract was terminated in, in Chicago, and then we found out uh, a little while later that he, he was and, and did remain free to sign elsewhere. What like what goes into that when it comes to the NHL determining uh, when a player is eligible, not eligible? How, how, does that, how does that all get determined by the league, knowing that, you know, the, the way things ended in Chicago for Perry? Yeah, well, there's no policy in place, really. Um that they decide things on an individual case by case basis. They were brought in on, um, you know, the process from the Blackhawks. They then Corey Perry had asked for a meeting specifically with Gary Bettman to clear the air. At no point was he ever, you know, barred from playing. He could have signed a contract the day after the termination, but, um, you know, it's a situation that involved alcohol. I think he made some bad choices or bad choice. And, you know, clearly for someone who had played in the NHL for 18 years, um, no one wants to see, especially a borderline Hall of Fame career with a Hart Trophy and a, a four Stanley Cup final appearances. No one mm-hmm. wants to see their career go out on those terms. So, you know, he's apparently put in the work. He acknowledged, you know, meeting with multiple counselors from multiple different disciplines over the last, you know, two months as this has sort of unfolded. And I think the league was comfortable with everything that happened. Um, I, I, I found the uh, one of your latest over at Daily Faceoff really interesting on Sean Monaghan and the type of return the Montreal Canadiens could end up getting on Sean, obviously who they acquired uh, a year and a half ago from the Flames in that uh, big day that also involved the Flames signing Nazem Kadri. And, and now the way Monaghan's career, and especially this season, everything has gotten back on track. You know, not only did they get a first-round pick to take on Monaghan in that contract, Frank, you believe that there's there's a good chance they could get a really nice return from him between for him rather between now and the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, people have been shocked by that and I got absolutely torched on social media yesterday for really working through the process and understanding what the player is now, how he's been producing the different areas that he touches in the game and impacts and then cap hit. Like if you have the Montreal Canadians retain half you can get Sean Monahan for under a million dollars because the bonus, the slight bonus that he has would be payable by the Canadians. Um, that's there's real value there, especially at that cap number. And so, yeah, flames fans know that they gave up a first round pick in 2025 to move Sean Monahan off the books, but they, you know, in this case, he's turned himself around into a really impactful player again. He's not, Mm -hmm. he's not the 30 and 30 guy that he was a number of years ago. The goal scoring is down, but look at the comps, Andrew cop. You had Barkley Goodrow and Paul Stasny, all three centers that have been moved in the last six deadlines. All of them got late first round picks 
And at the time, not only were they making more, but they were also producing point-wise at a rate less than what Monaghan is right now. So, I mean, I think the Canadians, at least to set the price and market point, you know, whether it's 29, 30, 31st overall, they're well within their rights to to be looking for a late first-round pick for Monaghan at the deadline. You know, it's it's funny, Frank, because I've I've heard a lot out of Montreal of late about how, and, and again, this is more from players, so you you expect to hear this at this time of year, but they feel like, hey, you know, we we still think that we can do something, and and we think that whether we make the playoffs this year or not, this group's moving in the right direction. Is is there a chance that that Montreal looks at Sean and says, hey, this is as as a leader, as as a guy that we know exactly what to expect, that you know maybe maybe they look at keeping him around, or or is a trade the most likely scenario here? Yeah, I, I still think a trade is the most likely scenario. Cash in. I mean, this is why you re-sign Sean Monahan because there was no value in him last year with the injury. Mm-hmm. You bring him back, he's a highly motivated player. I, I think the fit has been good on both ends. Like He's liked playing there and they've liked having him, but they're not in any position right now to be turning down, even with all the picks that they have, the potential for something pretty significant to come back the other way. So okay. um, I, I think that's where they're at and they're probably going to consider, you know, even some guys on their team that have term on their deals if they need to, you know, make those calls. With Frank Saravalli, he's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk as he helps kicks off this hour. Uh, staying uh, in that in that neck of the woods, how uh, – how much of a potential is there that Jacob Chikrin, and I know that uh, your colleague Matt Larkin just wrote about this over at DFO, but is is he a guy that is likely to move here between now and the trade deadline? Hard to handicap likely or unlikely because there's no real timer on it, right? Mm-hmm. It's really more of sometime between now and July 1st is when you really need to have that conversation if you're Ottawa who they're right in the middle of, you know, a team that has not just vastly, you know, fallen short of expectations, but is is dragging up the rear of of the conference that also has the disaster Columbus Blue Jackets in it. Their big thing is to try and identify who their core pieces are moving forward. And I think if you were to really inject some truth serum into the the Sens, if they're looking at the left side of their blue line, They've got Shabbat making eight million bucks. Sanderson, who I think is going to be in the Naras conversation in two years, making eight million bucks. And then you've got Chikrin south of five for this year and next. That you need to determine: Are we really going to be spending twenty-four to however many million dollars just on the left side of our defense? Are we re-signing Chikrin? And if not, you know, if we've really wanted to move Thomas Shabbat instead, which I, again, I think, you know, if they, you probably gave them some truth serum, that's who they'd say they'd rather move right. instead of Shabbat. He just doesn't have anywhere near the same value when it comes to a player already making a pretty significant sum of money for the foreseeable future. He's not, it's not nearly as attractive to teams as, oh, hey, here's two, two playoff runs with Chikrin at under 5 million bucks and you can re-sign him and keep him. I know the injury history, the injury history is the is not all that, you know, dissimilar in terms of talking about players who have in fans eyes been fragile. 
than Monahan, but like Chikrin has played at an exceptional level in Ottawa since arriving from Arizona, and they've got a, a guy on their hands that they frankly need to make a decision on. Do you um like uh, do you get the sense with with Steve Steos now in the fold there? Do you get the sense on if Ottawa is primed here to be a player at the deadline in terms of moving players out, knowing their situation? Is is this is this the time when Steos really starts to put his mark on that organization? I think they're pretty excited and or ready to do so, but they're pretty deliberate and methodical at the same time. So they've been aggressively you know making calls to try and understand market value and prices they've also been fielding a lot of calls everyone can see the same thing that we just talked about all three of those guys being left shooting defensemen that there's you probably don't need all three of those guys at that caliber on one side of a defense it's a nice thing to have if you can do it but can you better balance out your right side what does you know the future look like for you at the forward position you know, can they use any of these pieces to go out and get a goalie? Like there's there's a lot of different irons in the fire for the Sens that they've got a ton of work to do. And uh, finally, let's uh, let's wrap it up with the New York Islanders and their decision to hire Patrick Waugh as head coach over the weekend. He wins uh, behind the bench in his first game. How did we get here, Frank? And how, how did the Islanders uh, make the move to fire Lane Lambert and, and Lou Lamorello bringing uh, Patrick Waugh back into the NHL as a head coach? Well, it's... Obviously something that has raised a lot of eyebrows, you know, how long was this ongoing? I think the the kind of funniest thing I was exchanging messages today with another uh, current NHL head coach who said, do you find it amazing that Lou Lamorello got Patrick Waugh to shave? I mean, that sort of crazy <laughs> team rule that has, you know, been around forever since Lou Lamorello has run an NHL team. To me, it kind of shows you um, not just that Patrick Waugh is willing to conform, but it's a pretty clear indication as to who is boss. And that's never really been a question on a Lou Lamorello run team. And I think that's a big reason why he is there. Some people would say, I don't see their personalities meshing, the two of them. One is very stoic. The other one is, you know, is a ball of fire. But it for someone that had really earned the reputation, despite being a really good coach that he also wanted say in, in personnel and hockey ops decisions and had that going back to Colorado, he really lost a power struggle with Joe Sackick that he goes back to Quebec and running the remparts and his GMN head coach. People saw that and said, well, you know, if I'm a general manager, why would I, you know, want to bring in someone who might be wanting my job soon enough. And so it would take a really um, strong and confident manager, someone that, you know, wouldn't have any concern for something like that, like a Lou Lamorello, who's won multiple Stanley Cups and is 81 years old. Like it would take someone like that to give him a chance. And I think unquestionably, He's a good coach, and I think now that he arrives in New York with a healthy dose of perspective, probably didn't mm. think he was going to be outside of the NHL for 10 years after winning the Jack Adams and desperately wanted back in. He's like, yeah, I'll shave my beard. I'll do whatever it is you want. I just want to coach. Yeah. 
And uh, I, it's uh, when when I saw it, I knew that he'd been gone for a while. I didn't realize it had been since 2016 that he had coached the Colorado Avalanche. It's been that long. So I'm uh, really curious to see how it plays out with uh, Patrick and the New York Islanders. So far, so good. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, Frank. Anything else uh, we should be expecting? Anything that you've got in the hopper? Anything that you've got your eye on here between now and uh, the next time we chat? Uh, should have a new trade targets board up at some point, and the trade deadline countdown marches on. I think we're at 46 days from today, so okay. it's coming up in a hurry. Yeah, it truly is. Uh, thank you, pal. We'll uh, do it again next week. Appreciate the time, as always. Hey, Have a good one. He is Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider, and he joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, helping us kick off this hour. And he's brought to you, as always, by our friends at South Trail Chrysler, where they always make the buying process simple. Look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for a Tuesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable. It's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Save thousands on the 2023 GLB 250, GLC 300 Coupe, C300, or the GLC 300. Zero down and 2% loyalty lease rate reduction. It's Steinberg. We say hello to Wes Gilbertson of Post Media with us on Flames Talk this hour. Hello, Wes. Hey, buddy. And we say hello to the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Hello, Willsy. It's um, hello another Flames debut uh, on Tuesday night. Not an NHL debut, so we won't see a solo lap for Cole Schwint because he does have three NHL games to his name already. But a Flames debut for Cole Schwint. He'll uh, get into this Tuesday night game against the St. Louis Blues. Um, and just, you know, looking at the who's coming out and looking at what we've heard from Ryan Huss when he's done some news conferences when talking about the player that Schwint is replacing and Adam Ruzicka and just looking at what the Flames are looking for in that number four center role where Schwint is going to play against St. Louis. Boy, this seems like a really big opportunity, guys, for him to maybe solidify something here. It does, and I texted Brad Pascal earlier today and just told him how impressive it has been the pipeline that we've seen flowing from the AHL Wranglers to the NHL Flames. There hasn't been this type of pressure from the farmhands in this organization, certainly in the 10 seasons that I've been here. And I think the internal competition that these Wranglers have created on this Flames team, it's just great for the organization. And now an opportunity for Cole Schwint. And there have been two guys... Uh, number one, Adam Ruzicka, number two, Dylan Dubé, who have had an opportunity to really grab that 4C spot and own it. And neither guy has done it. Now, Ruzicka's had way more opportunities than Dubé, and now it's Schwinn's turn. And if it doesn't work out for him, and I hope that it does, then you've got Kevin Rooney who's pushing. Uh, Jacob Pelche is coming back. He's not a centerman, but uh, he's going to play uh, on this team in 
probably a bottom six, bottom nine role, so that applies some more pressure to the guys who are here and maybe standing on thin ice. But uh, I'm excited for Cole Schwint because, as you pointed out, Pat, he has played in three career NHL games, but those were all with the Panthers. Uh, some might forget. I don't think uh, diehard Flames uh, forget, but he was part of the Matthew Kachuk deal. So the Flames get Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Cole Schwint, and uh, a future first-round pick in return for Kachuk and a fourth-round pick. So kind of exciting to see him finally making his Flames debut after that uh, trade a couple of summers ago. And he's a guy who's got good size. He's decent in the face-off circle. And a guy who's projected to be a bottom-six centerman. So let's see if he can not be something that the Flames aren't asking him to be. They're not asking him to be a guy who goes out there and scores a bunch of goals and produces a bunch of points. They just want a guy who they can rely on to give them good bottom six minutes. Be a a player who's responsible defensively. Whatever you get offensively, I think, is almost a bonus from that fourth line. But play your role and play it consistently well because I think that that's what they've lacked from the fourth line this season. Just guys who, you know what you're going to get from them every night. Yeah, I want to start by kind of piggybacking on what you said about just the the pipeline from the Wranglers and the number of players up right now. I had to scoot over to Winsport and do an interview today and, and I bumped into somebody who you know, previously has, I won't say exactly who it is, but someone who's previously played games in a Calgary Flames uniform, and they said, geez, how about all these call-ups right now? I never thought I'd see this in this organization. And and that really hit home for me, mm-hmm. right? People, people are noticing the number of guys who started this season with the Wranglers who are now, excuse me, being given an opportunity to, to play prominent roles. And, you know, one of the things I wrote about today is, Cole Schwint started this season on a line with Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil. You know, that was one of the best lines in the American Hockey League yep. to start the season. And suddenly he looks to his left and, and his buddy's gone and not coming back. And suddenly he looks to his yeah. right and his other pal's gone and, and not coming back. And, and yet the message has been pretty clear to Cole Schwint ever since he arrived in that trade with the Florida Panthers. You're, we don't want you, you know, we're, we're not projecting you to be a scorer at the NHL level. Yeah, a little offense is nice, but you know what they're harping on is being dependable defensively, winning face-offs, those little things, and and this is a reward for the effort he's put into that. You know, I, I think it was an answer to Pat's question today. He was asked sort of what might be the difference compared to his first three games at the NHL level, and he he talked about understanding now what type of player he has to be. That to me is a clear indication that he's received the message from the Flames. Hey, if you're going to be a fixture at the Saddle Dome, it's going to be as a shutdown guy. And I know that he's been determined to kind of make the most of that message. I, I know that he's been working really hard on face-offs, for example. And I thought as he got really close to making the team in training camp, he kind of he had a slip-up at the end of that last preseason game, right? right. It was basically an audition. It did not go well. I'm excited now to see what Cole Schwint can do in limited minutes as a guy who basically just needs to make sure his line doesn't get scored on. I just think that you underlined how 
strong a question it was. It was, it was a really good question I asked I, him. You know, I think I just, and Wilsey, <laughs> back me up on this, I just said it was Pat's question. There no, was I think no you were sort like, of I, I think indication. It was a great question. It, no, I, it wasn't. I could. I, I didn't even get it out <laughs> properly the way I was trying to ask it. It was, it was like. No, I was, I was talking about Wes's question to Ryan Husker today, not your question, well, Pat. Um, <laughs> I, uh, that was, that was uh, well, just great questions everywhere. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny, like, when I, I wondered if they were going to bring somebody up, just period, because uh, essentially what's happened with Dylan Dubé stepping away from the team, he's no longer on the roster. They, they've, uh, I believe they've been granted the ability to move him to non-roster, which means he does not count on the 23-player roster cap. He does remain on the salary cap. but uh, So with Dylan Dubé away from the team, there is an open roster spot if the cap allows them to bring somebody up. And so, you know, with only 12 forwards, even though they're at home, the Wranglers go on the road here in a few days and then they're gone for five days uh, and so if you want to recall somebody it, right around now would be a pretty good time so I, I thought that even even if there wasn't going to be a change or we saw uh, on Monday that Andrew Manjapani uh, missed practice so if, if Manjapani wasn't ready to go for this game which he will be uh, even even without those things I just wondered if they would bring somebody up to be a 13th forward and to give themselves uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of cushion so you saw Cole Schwent at, at 10 a.m. this morning get the recall and it was an optional practice and so you know my first assumption was well they probably won't bring him in in the first game that's not how the last little while has gone and then I, I looked at you Wilsey as I was in the middle of the Rasmus Anderson scrum on Tuesday morning and in comes Cole Schwint and I was kind of tracking because I'm always looking around to see who's coming off the ice and who's still out there and I look around I'm like that seems a little early that seems like he's in early that's playing time early and I looked to my left and then Adam Rzichka's stall empty and so I wasn't expecting him to play when I first got the news but I, I applaud them in doing so because to your point um, that number four center spot has not been uh, solidified and I think right now now that you've given plenty of opportunity for more than half a season for that to happen We'll try a guy who maybe is more suited for it. And you've with, with Pospisil injured and with the Dubé situation, and it just there is uh, an open door to bring in another forward. So bring in a guy who is a little bit more suited to play that number four center role, similar, Willsey, to what they did with Adam Klapka when they brought him in to play on the right side of that fourth line. Yeah. And, and so... Right now, you're instead of trying to fit guys that you already had on your roster into fourth line spots, and and maybe it not working all that well. Well, now you've got two guys, and Klapka will play his second game in the NHL, and Schwintu will make his Flames debut. You've got guys who maybe profile a little bit more closely to the role you're putting them into at the NHL level. Yeah, and what will be interesting is to see how Cole Schwint handles going from 19 to 20 minutes a game. He leads all Wranglers forwards in average time on ice this season. To You must let's know say, somebody to get that sort of stat, Wilsey. The AHL does not like sharing that. Yeah, maybe I do, maybe I don't. <laughs> now, I did spend 13 years in that league, so, uh, but to, to playing six to eight minutes. Yeah. Some guys can do that. Some guys can't. Uh, and the other thing is some guys can go from being top six guys in the AHL to being bottom six guys in the NHL and make that transition. Other guys can't. And Adam Rzitska is a guy who is pointless in 10 and goalless in 24. He's about to be a, a healthy scratch for the eighth time this season. And 
I wonder if he sees himself as a fourth-line player. Or does he see himself as a top-nine guy who has been stuck on the fourth line this season? And that's why he hasn't had success. Some guys, again, can go from being top six guys to bottom six guys and, and be effective in both roles. Other guys can't do it. So we'll have to wait and see if, if Cole Schwinn can do it. If mm-hmm. not, there are other guys waiting in the wings who will be given an opportunity at some point in time here. But the Flames need more from that fourth line. They need six to eight, and on a good night, ten minutes of effective north-south, straightforward, keep it simple hockey. Again, they don't need goals and points from those guys. I think whatever they get offensively from the fourth line is a bonus. But what they do need is a line that consistently sets the table for the other three lines. And I think one of the reasons why Adam Ruzicka has been given such a long leash this season, well, two things. Dylan Dubé has also struggled when playing up the middle on that fourth line. But also, you look at, you talked about how Connor Zary got called up and then Martin Pospisil got called up two-thirds of what was the Wranglers' number one line. Yeah. Well, the Flames are deep down the middle. One, two, three. You've got three fantastic 200-foot centermen in Michael Backlund, your captain, Nazem Kadri, and Elias Lindholm. So there hasn't been an opportunity to play up the middle in the top nine. There's only been one center spot open on this team. So I think that's why Rajitska and Dubé have been, give, been given so many opportunities there. And I, I guess the third thing would be the guy who they maybe pe- had penciled in to play in that spot, Kevin Rooney, yeah. got hurt before the season started. Right. So now that guys are starting to establish themselves at the AHL level, here's what I am, here's why I can help you at the NHL level, now that guys are starting to get healthy, I think this competition to not only be the fourth-line setter, but to be a fourth-line player on this team Things are about to heat up, fellas. Yeah, and and it's why I loved what I heard from Cole Schwint this morning because that part that you talk about, the challenge of dropping from 19 minutes a night to, let's say, 9 minutes a night, like, I think he has such a clear idea now of what he's here to do. He talked about having a better understanding of what type of player he is. He made a comment when it was just him and I chatting at the end. He made a comment to me about you have to prove – something that separates you from everybody else. Like he knows he has to be that really strong defensive center. I even think of a guy like Derek Ryan. That's what the Calgary Flames are trying to develop Cole Schwint into. And for all the reasons that you just pointed out, this is a big opportunity for him to prove that he's ready to stay here. Adam Ruzicka is quickly reaching the end of his sort of runway with this organization. I, I do believe that. that there, yep. there are more and more hints that it's just not working here. Even we don't know when we might see Dylan Dubé again, obviously wishing him all the best with, with his leave, but they don't really think of him as a center. They, they'd rather use him on the wing anyways. They think that's where his speed is best utilized. So there there remains a spot, even when Dylan's back for a guy to sort of take over as fourth-line center. And for Cole Schwint, knowing that there's many in the organization who would like to give Clark Bishop a try, knowing that Kevin Rooney could be back in game action as soon as this weekend, the pressure is is sort of on to take advantage of this opportunity now, isn't it, guys? Yeah. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, 
Pat Steinberg along with you on this Tuesday edition of the program. We're here on the Hot Stove Lounge at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Um, it's the Blues on Tuesday night, and you take a look at the remaining schedule and, and where the Flames sit in this playoff race. They don't have a ton of more opportunities to take points off of teams that they're really in the fight with, like that are they're right there and uh, a point or a point or two ahead of or behind. This uh, feels like a big one for the Flames when they take on St. Louis. It does. So you sent the topics to us, Pat, and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to take a look at the remaining schedule because I hadn't done that. I hadn't looked that far ahead. And there's only seven games, in my opinion, that I would consider to be proverbial four-pointers, as I like to say. Uh, I think the Oilers, if they're not already out of reach, are trending in that direction, so I don't include them. Maybe rocketing in that direction. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. well, yeah, rocketing is a good way uh, to describe it with 13 straight wins. But uh, you've got tonight's game against the Blues. The Kings are coming back to the pack as far as the teams fighting for a playoff spot in the Western Conference. Six points ahead of the Flames right now, but some head-to-head games there. So I'm going to include them in the group of teams that I think uh, the Flames have proverbial four-pointers coming up against. And then you've got the Kraken, you've got the Blues again, the Kings again, not once but twice, so three games between the Flames and the Kings remaining on the regular season schedule. And then in the third-to-last game of the season, you've got another game against the Coyotes. So, yeah, there aren't all that many opportunities uh, to not only pick up two points uh, to help yourself, but to take two points away from a team that you're fighting with. So this feels like a really big game. And also, when I look at the last three games of this homestand, so you've got the Blues tonight, and then you've got the Blue Jackets on Thursday night, and then you've got the Blackhawks on Saturday night. This is the hardest game on paper. I feel like if the Flames can win this one, they've got momentum going into the next two. It's never easy against the Blue Jackets. They're a well-coached team, and they're going to give you everything you can handle. Uh, If the Flames lose to the Blackhawks again, there's absolutely no excuse for that. None. Because it might have cost them a playoff spot last season, and they should have learned their lesson, and they didn't because they played one of their worst games of the year in game one of the season series against the Blackhawks on that last road trip. So this is a big one. If you can take two points away from the Blues, uh, that's going to help you. But more importantly, you're picking up two important points and could potentially move to within two points of a playoff spot. And... We've talked a lot about the fact that the Flames, because they started 2-7-1, and one, have to stop spinning their tires. It can't be win three, lose three. Two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. They've got to string wins together. So if they can wrap up this six-game homestand by beating the Blues, the Blue Jackets, and the Blackhawks, that would be a 4-2 and two homestand with two losses against two good teams. And they would go into the break four games above 500 in the win-loss column for the first time this season and maybe in a playoff spot so for me guys you can't win three out of three unless you won the first of those three this is a huge game against the blues tonight yeah i i'd echo that and and probably just sort of look at it from i'm gonna say the exact same thing as you just from the opposite vantage point and that's that you can't string losses together yeah right it's been Yes, they they lost to two good teams in the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers, two teams with very high-octane offenses, you know, superstars on the other side, and yet you can't, as you have worked so hard to claw your way back from that skid at the start of the season, you just can't drop three in a row. It, it, it honestly doesn't matter to me that much who they're playing tonight. This is a game that you can't afford to lose. Back to 500 if they do. 
Exactly. And then you you made the reference to spinning your wheels. Well, that that's sort of the definition of it, right? And, yep. and so I do think in that locker room, despite their insistence on a, a day-to-day approach, and I think a day-to-day approach that has served them quite well, I do think that they're talking internally about trying to run the table this week. I think they look at this as a, a stretch of opponents that they – need to believe that they should win three in a row against it and believe that they sort of need to go into their buy an all-star break on a three-game winning streak. But more important to me in the sort of small picture is you can't lose three in a row. Yep. That's something they haven't done since that rotten stretch, I believe, at the start of the season, and you can't fall back there now. Yeah, and I mean, just overall, I mean, if you're if you're gonna want to make yourself uh, in a better spot or put yourself in a better spot, if if you can hurt another team that you're fighting right there with, I mean, really, uh, outside of Minnesota, who has gotten themselves a little bit closer into this pack, the Flames are points percentage wise the the last team in this playoff spot uh, because teams like Nashville have more points, or Arizona and St. Louis and Los Angeles all have less games played so the flames sitting pretty wise are are maybe the less the least pretty of the conversation so you can do a whole lot of damage to another team's outfit if you uh if you take some points off them and so that's why i look at this one because look i I don't know if they're gonna like the flames are a middling team let's be let's let's what they are through 46 games I don't know if they're going to beat both Columbus and Chicago because we see we see teams in this spot lose to those types of teams all the time. But this one against St. Louis, especially after you've lost two in a row, two emotional games, you, you want to really guard against a letdown here against St. Louis and a team that you need to take points off. Yeah, I think this is a pretty big game. I'm uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what they bring here. And right now, the Flames are only one point ahead of the Blues. Yeah. St. Louis has two games in hand on Calgary. So yeah. if you can open up a three-point lead, uh, they're still going to have two in hand, but that math looks a lot better. For sure. And, and right now, there's only two teams between them and a playoff spot, if you just look at the points. So the Flames tied with the Kraken at 47. The Coyotes are at 49. The Predators are at 51. But they've actually played one more game than the Flames have. So, And then the Kings. And... and Taking the Kings out of the equation, I would say of the teams fighting for that second wild card spot, the Predators, the Coyotes, the Flames, the Kraken, and the Blues, and the Wild are kind of on the outside of that group at this point for me, although they could still get back in it. They're not that far out of it. But I think the Flames are the best of the bunch right now. As things stand, and that could change if they start trading guys because chances are if they do that, it's going to be some of their top players. But... uh, the Flames are still in a decent spot, but they can't, again, keep taking three steps forward, three steps back. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. But if they don't win this game tonight, then best-case scenario is a 500 homestand. And that's, as you said, Wes, spinning your tires. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you, regardless of what we think around this table, if the Flames think they're the best of that bunch, these are the games you have to win. Mm-hmm. And who knows what's going to happen with the Kings. They're in a free fall right now, yeah. but I don't think they're as bad as they've been. No, I mean, chance. they've got a plus 25 goal differential, and they just hit hit the skids here. So you've got to think at some point in time yep. they're going to turn things around. Yeah. 
He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that is your Tuesday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable. And that'll start to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. The uh, producers back at the studio, our producers back at the studio on this Tuesday, Cam Hughes, Shan Vergie. Thank you, boys. And that'll wrap us up this hour. The uh, Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes invented airbags and automatic braking systems. It makes sense. They came up with the unparalleled EQ lineup. Zero percent lease rate on select 2023 models. See in-store for more details.